Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Shares for beginners. Phil Muscatello and FinPods are authorized reps of Money Sherpa. The information in this podcast is general in nature and doesn't take into account your personal situation. The biggest mistake people make, and this goes back to technology and Facebook, etc., is thinking every trade they're going to go in is going to be a tin bagger. Now, I'm on a couple of these share trading groups on Facebook, etc., and everyone just bangs on about 10 baggers. Oh, when's my next 10 bagger? Well, reality is if you've got one 10 bagger in your lifetime, I think you've done well. If I invest in a stock and I could beat bank interest, then I think I've done well. You know, you put your money in the bank at the moment, you can say four or 4.7%. Well, if you can get a 10% return out of, your, out of the stock you invested in, then you're, you know, five and a bit, 6% better off. So I think that's what you should be looking for and not just these 10 baggers and these stories of these people who are lucky enough, and it is luck, that they've invested in something and it's gone through the roof. G'day and welcome back to Shares for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. How can you directly support your favourite charity and trade shares at the same time? Today we're looking at Australia's first ever share trading platform dedicated to raising money for worthy causes. G'day, Alastair. G'day, Phil, and thank you for having me. Thanks for coming on. Can I call you Al? Yeah, <laughs> I absolutely. You, brought, you say your name Al everywhere, so Al. Alastair Warren has had a professional career in finance and stockbroking for over 30 years. He spent much of that time at some of Australia's leading stockbroking firms, including Macintosh Securities and Merrill Lynch, in senior management roles. And of course, now you've started your own business. How's that going? Uh, it's going well. Mm. You know, it's been a, we started during COVID, so it's been a tough time to start a business. And the market certainly of late haven't been very helpful for us, but it's a very rewarding business, Phil. When you're dealing with charities and donating money, it's a rewarding end of the month. So talk to us about the difference between broking when you first started to now. Obviously, there's a huge amount of differences. Yeah. Listeners will know I love hearing old war stories. Oh, I can tell you some. Yeah, so while I started in 1987, as you mentioned, with Macintosh Securities, they were probably one of Melbourne, Australia's most prominent brokers back then. I came straight out of school, went into stockbroking as a messenger, and that was you know basically running up and down Collins Street all day to the trading floor, doing settlements, you know, taking big baskets of script and getting checks, etc. Massive learning curve and such a fun environment, hardworking, but fun environment. So, I mean, the big difference is clearly technology, you know. As I said back then, you know, when I started, you had the trading floor and you had chalkies scribbling prices and doing trades that way. You know, the tickets from the trading floor, you had to manually punch into the computer the settlements, as I said, you know, was all manual. You had the old share certificate and transfer forms and you had to match the two together and send them off down to the custodians, etc. So technology has played a, a massive part in the change in, in the last 36 years, for sure. Do you think fundamentally it's any different though? I mean, really, it's still a market, isn't it? Yeah, no, 100%. You, you can only buy and sell shares, you know, one way, right? Buy or sell. I think fundamentally... The only sort of change, I guess, would be speed of trading. 
you know, now that we're all on computer and it's all computerized and now you've got algorithms and we'll dare say we're moving into AI trading as well, that has changed. You know, it's harder, you know, for I know a few guys who are professional traders and trading against the machines has made it very, very hard over the years. But fundamentally, you're 100% right. I mean, you buy, sells, or you share, sell shares. Do you think all the changes have been good for investors? Yeah, I do, actually. I think the internet has certainly opened up a wealth of information to investors. And especially, you know, as your podcast is for beginners, you know, there's a lot of education out there, free education, research, you know, how do I, you know, research a company or how do I, you know, uh, educate myself on buying and selling shares or investing. So I do, yeah, I think technology has been a good enhancement to the business. It's improved efficiencies, you know, again, back in the 80s, you know, we used to call it, you trade on the never-never. So you'd buy shares and if it went up, you'd pay for them. If they didn't, well, you'd just sell them and never pay for them. And if they didn't go up, well, you would just send your check whenever you did. But of course, then we moved from that T plus five settlement and now we're at T plus two settlement. So, you know, efficiency, it certainly has been good. And of course, I've got to commend you guys on the education that you provide. I follow you on Twitter and you give some really good information about what investors need to know about buying and selling shares. Yeah, that's Ben. That's my business partner. Ben's background, he and I have worked together for a long time prior to starting Trade for Good. And he spent probably the last 15 years supporting retail investors from a technology point of view, you know, how to trade, you know, fundamentals, you know, setting up alerts, et cetera, that sort of stuff. So he's very driven by education. He loves providing that information. And that's, you know, we've got a, a balance with our social media and LinkedIn posts between trading, education, and obviously our charity work. So, you know, what are the charities doing? How does trading benefit them? So, you know, it's a big part of what we do. And as I said, Ben does a terrific job. Yeah, I've got to commend it and um, yeah, trade for good on Twitter. And it's LinkedIn as well that those posts go. Is that the Yeah, the we've got the, platforms? the Yeah. Yeah, that's right, Phil. We've got the full suite. So we do LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Do you have any sort of information on the kind of investors that come to trade for good? And yeah, is, are there new investors there, do you think? Yeah, 100%. Mm. You know, I think it's interesting. I mean, without sounding silly and putting it too simply, we can trade with anyone who trades shares. So that's from experienced retail investors, and we've got a number of professional traders, uh, you know, guys and girls who sit at home, and actually that's how they make an income, uh, through to new investors, got sort of the, I don't know what we're up to, millennial or Gen Zs, you know, who like, certainly like the uh, philanthropic side of what we do. We have a number of financial advisors who trade through us, so that's sort of the wealth managers, we have platforms. We're just integrating to a new platform that's coming out called Advisor Universe. We've just been put on NetWealth's approved panel list. We have institutional clients like Pitcher Partners and Armitage, which is a fund in Melbourne. And interestingly, we've just partnered with a, a long short manager out of Melbourne called Westbourne Asset Management, run by a really, really terrific guy called Charlie Burgess. His fund's sort of been closed, you know, just sort of managed his own money plus some sophisticated investors' money. But he, he was trading through us, loved the philanthropic approach, and he's actually now going to turn his fund into more of a philanthropic fund where he will donate a minimum of 1% NTA, which is net tangible assets or the value of the fund, every year to a, a partner charity. That's great. So if you were to talk to a new investor, is there something that you would or one thing that you would have top in mind to, to tell them to be careful of? 
Yeah. Well, I've actually got three things, Phil. Oh, you've, uh, I hope you've that's prepared. all right. You've prepared. That's great. No. <laughs> well, you know, I, I think it's important. You know, I think the one major thing I think is, you know, for new investors is understand the company you want to invest in. You know, understand the fundamentals, the balance sheet, what it does, you know, what it actually does. So get to know the company that you think you're going to invest in. And I think the biggest mistake people make, and this goes back to, you know, technology and Facebook, et cetera, is thinking every trade they're going to go in is going to be a 10-bagger. Now, I'm on a couple of these share trading groups on Facebook, et cetera, and everyone just bangs on about 10 baggers. Oh, when's my next 10 bagger? Well, reality is if you got one 10 bagger in your lifetime, I think you've done well. If I invest in a stock and I could beat bank interests, then I think I've done well. You know, you put your money in the bank at the moment, you're getting say four or 4.7%. Well, if you can get a 10% return out of your, out of the stock you invested in, then you're, you know, five and a bit, 6% better off. So I think that's what you should be looking for. And not just these 10 baggers and these stories of these people who have lucky enough, and it is luck, that they've invested in something and it's gone through the roof. I think it's always interesting, that idea of a 10 bagger is, it's if you're not experienced and you see suddenly your stock soaring and skyrocketing, there's a temptation to sell at 10%, 20%, 25%, and most people sell before it even becomes a 10 bagger. You're 100% right, right? It's uh, you're, yes, hundred percent. Yeah, because you're playing that psychological game as well, yeah, aren't correct. you? Yeah, I mean, you've got to have nerves of steel, right? You know, who wouldn't want to take a ten, twenty percent return, twenty five percent return? You know, I think some of the the classic ones. Obviously, the big one was GameStop in America. You know, more locally, we had Zip. You know, that went from zero to hero and is back at zero, basically. Well, not zero, but a long, a lot, lot, long way off eleven dollars. But you know. The reality is those people who held it from, say, $0.50 cents to $11 would be none because you just wouldn't. You might buy and sell it through the course of as it rises, but you know, reality is you're not going to hold it from $0.50 cents to $11. And the reality is in the Australian share market, dividends pay play such a huge role in terms of returns, don't they? Yeah, 100%. Getting a dividend yield for building your wealth is critically important finding those stocks and we've got a number of fundamental tools and analysis tools now and our system that allows you to do that but yeah dividends and also you know a good way of doing it as you're building your your wealth is dividend reinvestment plans so instead of getting a check for 35 dollars from telstra you know you select drp which you do through the share registry and that'll invest back into the 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 physical share so you might get an allocation of 15 new Telstra shares. Better that, you know, you're going to get a check for $35 and just waste that. But this allows you to then go, well, okay, well, I got an extra 22. So then it's, you know, it's compounding. I think that's a very good way for a, a new investor to build a good quality and a portfolio. Yep. Rather than dreaming of those 10 baggers. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> correct. Once I get on the forum and then start <laughs> yeah, saying, oh, oh, okay. Oh, this is, this is where I'm going to make uh, my fortune, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So what inspired you to co-found? I'm, I'm saying co-found because you are a co-founder. What inspired you to co-found Trade for Good? Uh, look, I think there's two, two answers to that question. One is if you think of what we do and we just take brokerage less our execution and clearing costs and you know, divide it by two or donate 50%. And that's a standard model in broking. You know, if I work at Shore & Partners or I work at Morgan Stanley, 
you know, I pay the house or the company, you know, probably anywhere from 50 to 70% of what I write. But that model is not usually applied to the self-directed market. So like the Comsex, NAB, Trade, CMC, because there's no advice. So there's no need to pay the house that those percentages. So common model, just applying it to the self-directed market. You know, we don't provide any financial advice. You know, it's what they call non-advice execution only. So we provide you with the tools to trade. You make the decision when to buy and sell, and that's how you do it. So there's that side of it. And if I'm honest with myself, I think post-GFC, you know, I having been in the industry for 36 years now, I was pretty disappointed with us as, a, as an industry, and probably more so Wall Street, to be honest, just through the pure greed. You know, you had big firms over there, and I probably won't mention one. I don't particularly want to get sued, but, you know, they were, um, and there's been a, certainly a uh, Hollywood movie made about it, but, you know, you had big firms shorting it, which means you, you sell it at a high price on the hope that you buy it back at a cheaper price, so reverse to a, a standard, guess, investment strategy you know, shorting it on their book, and but selling it to their retail clients or their investors. And that, I thought, gee, we're a pretty poor industry when we're all about us and it's all about greed. So I thought, you know, this is a good way of potentially making something that is a bit of a legacy, something that can give charities a consistent return. Uh, that's what all the charities strive for and struggle with is having a consistent level of donation or, or revenue which allows them to, you know, plan and grow and implement, you know, strategies to their specific philanthropic needs. So, Al, speaking of these charities, which are the ones that you support? Yeah, when I started it, I had 30 in my mind, Phil, and I, and I, don't, I don't know why. I thought 10 for humans, 10 for animals, and, and 10 for the environment. But reality is, in Australia, there is 58,000 registered charities, which grows at about 4% a year. And I think they're the second largest employer behind hospitality. So it's, Really? It's, <laughs> I had no yeah, idea about right. that. Yeah. 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 No, it's a big industry. And, you know, I've learned a lot about charities over the last three years. Yeah, it's an interesting space. So we started with that 30. But reality is humans need so much more support, whether that's medical research or whether that's, you know, housing, domestic violence, food, you know, Food Bank is one of our big charities and the amount of work that they do with, you know, providing meals, you know, and the amount of need for that is quite staggering. And and I think that's, you know, it's well publicised on news and, and everywhere that, you know, that's increased through, you know, cost of living pressures. So I think, well, if we get to 30, uh, we've currently got 15 or we've got 16. We have trade for goods choice. Uh, a lot of our institutional clients just say, leave it up to you. You guys sort it out at the end of the month and we just pro rata across everybody. But if we got to 30, I think it would be 20 for humans, five for animals, five for environment. And the reason I sort of wanted that lower number is to make a meaningful difference. You know, we could have 300 charities and send out $10 each for argument's sake, you know, that's not going to shift the dial much. So I'd rather have a smaller number and make a meaningful difference. So we have charities, some well-known brands. We have Variety, Kids Charity, that's now called. It used to be Variety Club. We have Rural Aid, Habitat for Humanity. And then we've got some lesser ones, which are old Food Bank, as I mentioned. Then we have Pet Rescue. We have, on the animal side, we have a horse sanctuary one. On the environment side, we have Carbon Positive Australia, Take Three which is about ocean and education around plastics. Um, and that, they're two really good examples about how you can make a meaningful difference with, with your brokerage. 
Now, Carbon Positive Australia does reforestation and regeneration of our natural bush right across the bottom and up the eastern seaboard, you know, and $4 plants a tree. So, you know, it doesn't take much from one trade to make a meaningful difference. Take three educates kids. They also collect rubbish, but they educate school children about, you know, the dangers of plastics in the ocean. Now, they can educate two school ch- children for $9.50. So, again, you know, it's an easier way or an easy story to tell when, you know, you, your brokerage can go to those sort of lower numbers. Food banks creates a meal for 50 cents, you know. So, it's easy to make a, a meaningful difference with your trading. Some of the bigger ones like cancer research, pancare, you know, it's research. So that takes a lot of money. But, you know, so we have a lot of, a lot of charities. Do you want me to list them off? No, no, it's okay. We'll put them in the notes. We'll put a full list yeah, in, okay. the, in the Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Right. Super is one of the most important investments you'll ever make. But how do you know if you're in the best fund for your situation? Head to lifesherpa.com.au to find out more. Life Sherpa, Australia's most affordable online financial advice. So your brokerage fees are quite reasonable. What's the proportion that goes to charity and how much are the brokerage fees? Yeah, so institutional rates, we're uh, price takers, not price givers. So they tell me what we're going to charge them, which is well and good because they do some big lumpy trades. So that's great. They are the, they are the big end of town for, <laughs> for a reason. <laughs> Correct, mate. You know, retail rates, we start at $9.45 GST inclusive. That's up to $10,000 a trade, 15 to 15, and then it's 0.099% or 999 basis points. And basically what we do, I mean, we've got costs, obviously, you know, we have got to pay our broking partner for the actual trading side of it. We pay the ASX fees. So we subtract that and divide it by two. You so know. you could easily plant a tree for one trade. Oh, 100%. Mm, 100%. Mm. And, yeah. you know, I, lo- I love that story. And, and I, we've used it, again, going back to our social media, you know, someone like, uh, you know, a picture partners, big firm, you know, a big uh, business consulting accounting firm has a wealth division. They manage about $5 billion. Uh, so it's a big firm. But, you know, we can legitimately say they offset their carbon footprint by their trading. So because every time they trade, we go plant a tree. So, you know, it's a good story. So one of the first things an investor in the share market has to do is open a brokerage account, which is where you guys <laughs> come in. <laughs> Talk us through the process. Yeah, well, there's another thing that's changed a lot over the years, Phil. You know, that used to be so manual, wet signatures. You had to send all your paperwork in very, you know, painful. Oh, I'm old enough to remember. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, exactly. And you know what? That's still the biggest challenge in our business because, you know, people are inherently don't want to change. I think statistically, you know, you're more likely to get divorced than change your bank account. But the way we do it is now is a lot better through technology. So it's all online. So you go to the Trade for Good website, www.tradeforgood.com.au, get started across the top menu banner, and then you choose your charity, fill in some details, 
you know, electronic verification of yourself. You know, if I use a individual personal investor, retail investor, stick your license in or your passport, it verifies who you are. We ought to automatically open a Macquarie CMA account and we do that. Well, it doesn't cost you anything, which is a good That's thing. That's a but- cash manage management account, isn't it? Because you've got yes, a cash okay. account along with your broking account. Yeah. yeah. And we do that because we, well, two reasons. It reduces our risk and it also reduces the end investor's risk of fat finger. So we do cash vetting. So, you know, you must have $5,000 in your account to buy $5,000 worth of stock. You accept some T's and C's at the end of that and then we set you up with our desktop version of our trading and our free mobile app which you can also trade from, and you're sort of up and running within 24 hours. Great. So let's go through it. Placing an order, what's the difference between a limit order and a market order? Yeah, a limit order is as it sounds, right? You know, you dictate what price you are limited to on your buying or your selling. So you say, I will only buy BHP at X price or I will only sell BHP at X price. A market order is... I just want to buy it, I just want to sell it, and it'll go through at whatever the market is at that particular time. Are there any dangers in either one of those approaches? Actually, I'll just tell you a personal story because I do like looking at the depth, the market depth when you place an order. And you can sort of see, oh, okay, I can kind of see where my order will sit in the market depth. And you might be waiting for a long time for that (laughs) that order to go through. I'm sure you've seen that many a time. Yeah, especially on the sell side, right? You always want to sell <laughs> yeah, yeah, when you want more. to go. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, no, you're 100 percent right, Phil. Dangers. Um, look, I guess you know. Again, it comes back to you know your personal mindset. You know, dangers are. Oh, I'm going to sell it at market, and then of course it goes up 10 percent further in the day, and you're like, God damn, wish I didn't do that. There's no real inherent danger, I don't think, other than you know missing out on the price that you wanted. So you also provide watch lists. Why are watch lists important? Yeah, watch lists are great, actually. Within our trading platform, it sort of drives the whole, I guess, functionality of the, of the platform. So you create a watch list. So that allows you to have a, one simple space that allows you to monitor the stocks that you're interested in. It then drives things like charting, depth, as you mentioned, and the market information fundamentals. And, you know, simply clicking in your watch list on BHP, it then alters the rest of the platform to say charts will update your fundamentals, your depth, etc. So it's a great easy way to have a snapshot of the stocks you're interested in. From there, you can, you know, right-click trade, you know, buy or sell the stocks that you've got in your watch list. And importantly, you can add alerts. Alerts are a fantastic tool, which allows you to say, well, you know, there's a number of different levels of alerts you can set you can do it on you know price so tell me when bhp hits a certain level or if it goes down a certain level you know if the if the bid price or the offer price hits this price movement so if a one of my stocks if bhp goes up by 10 percent today let me know volume you know if it's doing x amount of volume or even news if it comes out with price sensitive news let me know, so it'll send you a, it'll send you an email or it'll send a direct alert to your phone. So you're always, you know, up to speed with what's going on. Unless you're going to sit there and stare at your screen from the hours of, you know, ten till four, or just after four. You know, it's not a great good for way. your mental health unless no. you're a professional at it. <laughs> no, correct. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned charts. How would you, a beginner? Begin to approach charts because they can be very, very complex, can't they? And they can be hundred percent. And it's really, you you just have no idea about what's going on with a chart when you first look at one. So what what would be your 
suggestion for someone looking at a chart for the first time? I would ring Ben. <laughs> he, he is a chartist expert. Look, you know, I'm I'm a simple line chart sort of a, a sort of a guy. I think the candles, so you can see visually when there's selling pressure, you know, the red candles versus the green, which is to buy. I think that's, you know, for a, I am a simple chartist, Phil, to be honest, but, you know, they sort of visually tell me that you can see pressure if the stock's getting oversold. So obviously the price will come down. But there, again, you know, there's lots of good charting information out there. You know, Google's a wonderful machine. AI is fantastic, chat GPT. You know, so there's a lot of wealth of information out there. It's, again, about education. It is, and there's so many different styles of being a chartist as well, isn't there? Oh, yeah. You know, reading candles or reading patterns or looking at yep. momentum or, you know, the, the the indicators, whether you're a MACD kind of person or a – There's uh, everything. There's yeah. so many of them. So, yeah, approach it carefully, I would suggest. <laughs> yes, correct, because, mm. you know, it is a good tool to, you know, I guess figure out momentum, you know, and certainly goes back to, you know, your, your understanding the business. You know, charting is a good way to go back – and look at price history. You mm. know, what, what's this stock done over the last five years, 10 years, one month, two weeks? You know, does it have seasonal increases or decreases? Mm. I think it's also worthwhile because there's also the trap of uh, catching a falling knife. And I think just, just by looking at a chart for a company over a long period of time, it gives you a just bit better idea because people sort of go, oh, look at it. It's a $5 today. It must be really cheap. But then if you look at it in context of that price action over a period of time, yep. you can say, well, you know, they can go a lot cheaper as well. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Mm. 100%. Yeah. Very good tool though, charting. Uh, mm. you know? And as you said, you know, there's people out there who call themselves chartists and they just love a chart. Mm. And as you said, there's indicators. Oh, my God, there's hundreds of them. Moving <laughs> crossover averages and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. As the golden like, cross, <laughs> the death yeah. cross, all that sort of stuff, yeah. <laughs> yeah and then you get yeah. into the candles as well, all the different oh, kinds of yeah. candles, yeah. We'll get back to the show right after this brief message. Why am I buying, holding, or selling a share? If you can't answer that basic question, then you don't have a plan. The best investors are ruthless in executing their plans. I've been fortunate to meet many great investors on the podcast. Tony Kynaston is one of the best. He has a clear and systematic approach to investing that is honest, sensible, and methodical. It's called QAV, Quality at Value. QAV now offer an excellent light plan for only $29 per month. You can follow their buy and sell recommendations and learn the ropes. And the first month is free using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Go to qavpodcast.com.au to sign up. That's qavpodcast.com.au using the promo code SFBLIGHT. Past performance is not a guarantee of future returns. Please read the QAV FSG and consult a financial professional before investing. I receive a small commission for services I recommend, and I only recommend services I use myself. I'm referring now to a recent tweet that I saw you guys were an X. I don't know what you're supposed to call it anymore. About oh, yeah. Uh, many brokerage services not charging brokerage anymore, especially in the US. Tell us about that. Talk to us about what's going on there. Yeah, look, it's interesting. That will never happen in Australia. I don't think it's not legal here. ASIC don't allow. What they do in the US, it's called uh, payment for order flow. So, you know, Robin Hood is obviously the, the biggest name around doing that sort of thing. So they get paid to put your orders somewhere, usually with a market maker or a, another broker. So they get paid and that's how they make money. So they can charge you no brokerage. And, and look, Robin Hood's a good example. They don't charge brokerage, but they make a billion dollars out of order flow. 
So they get paid that way. US is a total different market to us. Yeah. But purely based on volume as well. You know, I think I read during the pandemic, uh, I think it was TD Ameritrade, one of the big brokers might have been Charles Bob. In one day, pure retail is 7.3 million trades. Now, our market wouldn't do that totally in, oh God, you know, months. <laughs> you know, not months. That's no exaggeration. A month. So, we're you tiny. know, we're tiny, let's face it. Yeah. Oh, correct. So they get paid for that. They also do, in the US, they have sort of a, a default margin facility. So if I bought $10,000 worth of shares and didn't pay for it, well, it rolls automatically into a margin type facility. So then they start charging you interest. So they make money that way. They make money out of stock loan. So we're talking about shorting before. That's quite a big, big strategy in America. And they make quite a lot of money out of that. So yeah, pay for order flow is the main reason. That's why they can charge no brokerage. As I said, I don't think that'll ever come in here because that's, you know, it's not, ASIC don't like it. I think it's, I don't, I'm not 100% sure if it's legal or illegal, but certainly ASIC do not like it. So I don't think it'll ever come in here. So it's these market makers just shaving off fractions of a cent on each particular trade over many, many trades, isn't it? That's yeah, how it yeah. works. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, correct. Mm. You know, they, I mean, there's some, some clever, again, comes back to technology, but, you know, there's clever things like, you know, they can do pre-match books. So, you know, if you're a broker and you're charging brokerage, certainly at an institutional level, you're always trying to find, do a crossing, which is to find a buyer and a seller because you get two legs of brokerage, you get on the sell side and the buy side. So, you know, if they get all this order flow, and put it into their pre-match book, they get more chance of crossing things up, which obviously good revenue two sides. But they also put it into their black box, algo, you know, secret sort of technology trading stuff that they, as you said, shave a point either side and make money out of it. Mm. Well, it's fascinating the way it works, isn't it? <laughs> we feel so. It's a little bit old school and old fashioned here in Australia, but it's quite a solid regulatory framework that we operate in, isn't it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, especially in the region. That's why we attract so much, so many international investors. I guess is because of our regulatory framework. Certainly, especially in the region, uh, mm. you know, we are we are seen as one of the safest markets to invest in. Do you have any horror stories of full service brokers? <laughs> there's, a, there's a question without notice for you. <laughs> yeah, horror stories. Well, I think I think the biggest failure, I guess, we've seen in my time has been, well, poor old Macintosh did back in the day. As I said, you know, we were probably one of the most predominant brokers in Australia, probably along in Melbourne, certainly with Potter Partners, which obviously became Bell Financial Group. We were at some point, I can't remember, it was when it was, it was in the early 90s, I think, one of the corporate guys decided it was a great idea to float the Grand Hyatt and they underwrote it, which means if you say you're listing a company at $30 million and you underwrite it, you guarantee to the company that you'll pay that $30 million. Now, normally if it's a good placement or an IPO, you know, you spread that risk because you're confident it'll get away and the investors will take it all. If there's a small shortfall, say a million dollars, well, you've got to pay it up. Unfortunately, they didn't get it away, and that was a direct result. Was that Macintosh then had to find a buyer because it couldn't find the thirty million dollars, and that's how Merrill Lynch came to Australia. They came in, bought the whole Macintosh business for a very, very cheap price, and Macintosh was unfortunately gone forever, and it became Merrill Lynch. 
Because brokerage firms aren't, aren't just about buying and selling. They do other things. They get involved in... Corporate. Okay. Yeah, they get involved in things like corporates and IPOs, yeah. don't they? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's... Corporate is a strong, if you're a full service broker like a, a Bell Potter or a Shores, you know, that's a strong level of revenue because when you do a listing or a placement or help companies raise money, you can charge bigger fees, you know, and that usually is somewhere between 2 to 6%. Harder stocks to get away, probably you might get a little bit more than that. Whereas your average brokerage account, you know, you, you can't charge someone 6% to, uh, you know, buy or sell a share. You know, it's down in the basis points level these days. So it's a big, big revenue line for most full-service brokers. You know, you have research departments for the bigger institutional brokers. That's another big department, you know, because they're always trying to find the edge on a particular stock and research through the fundamentals, through the, the financials is a good way of doing that. And then, of course, you go then sell it to your institutional clients. Hey, Phil, ABC, big shop, financial planner, I've got this, you know, tip on this stock, not a tip. I've got this fundamental data. Our research suggests this is a great buy. And that's how you sort of drive revenue through those research ideas. So how can listeners find out more about Trade for Good now? Easy, Phil, easy. Follow us on all our socials, as I said. But the easiest way is www.com tradeforgood.com.au. All our contact details are there. Uh, we're always happy to have a chat to anybody. Can opening there. Information about all our charities are there. Pricing, etc. That's the easiest way. And as I said, we'd love to chat to anyone who wants uh, interested in opening an account or just wants to find out more about some the charities that we support. Okay. Well, we'll put all of those links in the blog post and the episode notes as well. So, Al Warren, thank you very much for joining me today. No, Phil, thank you. We had a couple of false starts with missed planes, etc. but thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, it's always good to get the technical issues out of the way and then have a trouble-free interview. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thank you, mate. Thanks for listening to Shares for Beginners. You can find more at sharesforbeginners.com. If you enjoy listening, please take a moment to rate or review in your podcast player or tell a friend who might want to learn more about investing for their future. 